the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. David was a broken man. David really repented, and God just dealt with David, and it all poured out. And David saw what he was. He was a thief. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer, and he didn't try to excuse it. He just said, God, I've sinned against you. And you know what? God did respond in forgiveness. Nathan said, you're forgiven. Thus saith the Lord, you're forgiven. And then David then penned in Psalm 32 the words of and the joy of forgiveness. You can look at it on your own that God did forgive him, and it was a joy to his heart. Hello, and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside for more than 27 years. Over the past few weeks, we have been learning some important spiritual truths from the life of King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. In some cases, he set a wonderful example, and in other times, he tragically showed us what not to do. It is often said, and truthfully so, that as Christ followers, we serve the God of second chances. David's life illustrated that fact over and over. But even though, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us, those sins still have consequences, and forgiveness cannot sweep them away. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and consider the consequences of David's moral fall with Bathsheba. Now, Nathan begins his confrontation by telling David a little story. It's a parable. It's a parable about a rich man who, in spite of having many sheep, stole a poor uh, neighbor's only little female lamb to provide a feast for a guest. Now, obviously, Nathan's parable, I say obviously, you should get this, Nathan's parable was really about David and Uriah. David was the rich man who had many, many wives, didn't need another one, and Uriah only had one wife, Bathsheba. And why do you suppose that Nathan used this approach with David? Why not just blast the guy right away? Why not do it? I'll tell you why. Because David had been a poor shepherd boy, hadn't he? David had been a poor shepherd himself, and nothing would have pierced David's heart and defense, defenses like a story about a poor shepherd and his pet lamb. David would relate to that. And uh, this story really hit the mark with David. He was enraged about it. Notice his reaction in verses 5 and 6. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. You see, David thought that, that uh, Nathan was coming and telling him a story about somebody in his kingdom, and he'd passed judgment on this. And never realizing he was the man, David's anger burned greatly against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Wow. He, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. 
David's blind to the fact that he's the rich man of the story, but he is so enraged by this injustice that he actually goes beyond the Mosaic law. The law of Moses said, if someone takes someone's sheep, return it fourfold. For one sheep has taken return four. David goes beyond the law and he says the man ought to die. He deserves to die. Now, the truth that I want you to see is that the words that you use in confronting someone need to be thoughtfully and prayerfully uh, arrived at so that you address the real issue as, as Nathan did. Nathan thought this thing through. He didn't just go in there and say, I don't know what's, what I'm going to say. No, he had thought this through. Don't beat around the bush, but get to the heart of the person's sin. You and I may not be as skilled as Nathan was in being a storyteller, and we don't need to be skilled like that, but we can be prayerfully, uh, we can prayerfully communicate in clear language what the problem is. And Nathan sure did. After the story, notice what he said to David in verse 7. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? A little fly on the wall hearing it. You know, what was his tone of voice? He just said it to the king. What boldness. I don't think he came in there and said, you're the man. I think he came in and said, you are the man. I mean, David could take his life. You, this has to be the bravest guy in all the Bible. You are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. And he goes on to spell out some things. Don't speak hastily is the point. Know what you're going to say. Use the right words. Nathan sure did. He had this parable all figured out, and then he said, you're the man, David. You're guilty. You have sinned. And then he spelled out David's sin. He brought him the only words that you and I really want to bring in terms of confronting somebody after you, you initially get into this. And that is God's word. Notice verse 7. It says, It is I who anoint you, thus saith the Lord. It is I who uh, anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. If it had been too little, I would have added to you many more things, he says. Notice we read on, verse 9. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the, uh, with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. I mean, that's powerful stuff. He just spoke God's word, thus saith the Lord. That's what you and I are supposed to do. The most important thing that we do in confronting a believer is not be clever with our own, our own words, though we need our own words to get into it. But the most important thing we can do is present the standard of Scripture. You present the standard of God that has been violated. That's why you're not judging and people say, oh, you ought not to judge. I'm not judging. I'm just telling you what God's word said. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. Listen, Matthew 18, you're to confront. James 5, you are to turn them back. Galatians 6, you are to restore them. And you do it with God's Word. You present the standard of God that has been violated. Why? Because that's the real issue. That's the issue. That's what brings about repentance. How would I know what to repent of if I don't know what I have violated? So you bring them the issue that's been violated. You see, it is God's word that is a sharp-edged sword that pierces. It is God's word that is like a hammer that shatters. It is God's word that brings conviction. So use the word of God. You have violated this truth of God's word. And don't try in your compassion 
and your mercy to lessen the sin committed. Well, I know that you didn't mean to do it. That's ridiculous. Of course they meant to do it. They didn't mean to do it. Why are you there confronting them? Don't lessen it. You probably had good intentions. Of course they didn't have good intentions. Don't lessen the blow. Nathan didn't lessen the blow. He, he told it like it was. Notice verse 9 again. I mean, I don't know how direct you, more direct you could be. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. I would say that spells it out, wouldn't you? I mean, this is the word of God. Nathan didn't say, well, you know, I know it was a weak moment. I know it was hard on you. He didn't say that. He didn't care about that. You have despised the word of God. And David, you are in sin. So biblical confrontation involves, number one, being sent by God. Make sure you're an encourager first. Make sure you have God's leading and his timing. Secondly, use the right words. Use wise words in getting into it and use God's word. That's the power. The third, um, biblical, uh, the third approach of biblical confrontation involves presenting forgiveness of sin without taking away its consequences. Boy, that's important. Present forgiveness of sin, but don't take away the consequences of sin. Notice verses 10 through 14. Now, therefore, the sword, and Nathan is still giving God's word to him. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before you and give them to your companion, and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because of this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born to you shall surely die. After David was confronted with his sin, he finally, after a year, admitted that he had sinned. And confessed it to God. And do you realize that under the Mosaic law, David deserved to die? He deserved to die for committing adultery that was punishable by death and for murder that shall not murder. On two counts, he, he could have died. But God, in his mercy, did not take David's life. That was God's prerogative. After all, he, he gave the law. And in this case, he was merciful to David. He forgave him, I think, because of his repentance and his sorrow for sin. And David really was sorrowful for his sin. Psalm 51 picks up on this. Samuel doesn't tell us, but uh, it expresses David's real repentance. Uh, I'd like you to look at it because this is true repentance. Psalm 51. Notice David's brokenness over his sin. He was so stubborn for a year not to deal with it. And when he did deal with it, it finally all gushed out. Notice, we'll, we'll look at a few verses here. Psalm 51, this is true repentance. You want to know if you repent over your sin? It ought to be like this. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee the only I have sinned and done this evil in thy sight so that thou art justified when thou dost speak and blameless when thou dost judge David David just said Lord I'm, I'm guilty no excuse I've sinned against you I have sinned against you and I'm so sorry jump down if you will to verse 10 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast me away from thy presence. And don't take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a, with a willing spirit. Notice verse 15. O Lord, open my lips. Let my mouth may declare thy praise, for thou dost not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I'd give it. Hey, if it was just giving a sacrifice, I'd do it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. David was a broken man. David really repented. And God... uh, uh, just dealt with David and it all poured out. And David saw what he was. He was a thief. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. And he didn't try to excuse it. He just said, God, I've sinned against you. And you know what? God did respond in forgiveness. Nathan said, you're forgiven. Thus saith the Lord, you're forgiven. And then David then penned in Psalm 32, the words of and the joy of forgiveness. You can look at it on your own. That God did forgive him and it was a joy to his heart. Let me say this as we go back to 2 Samuel. The the purpose of confronting someone is always, always to bring them to the place of repentance. That's the point. It's not to get something off your chest. It's not to show these people how rotten they are. It's not to make you feel better than than them, no more superior. Galatians 6.1 says, restore. That's the purpose. Matthew 18.15 says, if he listens to you, you've won your brother. Won him to what? Want him back into fellowship with you and with God. That's the purpose. And James 5.19 says that we are to turn a sinner from the error of his way. That's the purpose. Now, now mark this well. Forgiveness of sin, though obviously the real issue here, does not mean that the consequences of our sins are removed. There are natural consequences that will never be removed. And we ought not to try to remove them. Notice again verse 10. And 11 and 12, David said, was told by Nathan, the sword shall never depart from your house. Verse 11, I'll raise up evil against you from your own, own household. I'll even take your wives before your eyes, give them to your companion. He'll lie with your wives in broad daylight. And then he said in verse 14, the baby shall die as well. Consequences. As a result of his sin, David's life would never be the same. Tragedy would affect the household of David from that point on. Verse 15 tells us that the baby's going to die, and the rest of the chapter tells us the baby did die. The baby, which was the product of that union of he and Bathsheba, died. One of his sons, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Another son by the name of Absalom was so angry at Amnon that he murdered him. And later, Absalom rebelled against David and his kingdom, and he actually had intimate relations with David's concubines in broad daylight, just like God said. He didn't, he, David didn't realize his companion would be his own son. And eventually, Absalom, who uh, was killed in his rebellion, and finally, there was a fourth son by the name of Adonijah who was murdered. You want to hear something very interesting? The law said, and David confirmed it, that if you take one sheep, you, you owe fourfold sheep in return. It's very interesting. God took four sons of David in fulfillment of this principle. He took one sheep from Uriah. Four sons died as a result. 
You see, here's the point. Forgiveness is always available to one who repents because God is merciful and gracious. But that will never remove the consequences of sin. David experienced the consequences of sin the rest of his life. Now, was his life miserable? No. No, the rest of his life wasn't miserable. He knew misery, but it wasn't miserable. It was in the midst of of these consequences that David had to learn to trust the Lord and could still walk with joy. But uh, had David uh, seen what what would have happened because of a few minutes' pleasure with Bathsheba, I'm sure he would have never gone through with it. Tragic consequences. Listen, David lived to regret his sin. And you need to think very, very carefully about David if you're planning to sin like he did or any sin that you uh, refuse to repent of. There are consequences, and you can be forgiven, but those consequences will not be removed. And listen, when you confront someone about their sin, don't you try to remove or lessen the consequences of their sin. Don't make it so easy for them that there are no consequences. You can't do that. For example, if an elder in the church commits immorality, he can be forgiven, sure. But he's lost his ministry. He's lost it. There are consequences. I remember years ago talking to a couple who wanted to get married. Came to see me. They, uh, they said they'd like to get married. They're both professing believers in Christ. However, when I uh, probed with some questions, it turns out that they were living together. And I do not marry couples who are living together. And uh, I told them they would have to uh, stop having relations, stop living together. And I uh, confronted them about this. And... Uh, They acknowledged it was wrong, but I remember the woman saying this. She said, you know, we can't do that. Oh, you can't do that? Why? Because uh, uh, this man has been with me so long, he's like a father to my child, and it would just hurt the child. And I remember saying, you know, sin has its consequences, and uh, you reap what you sow. Yeah, it's going to be hard, but there are consequences to sin. And they refused to... uh, to do anything about it, and I refuse to perform the, the marriage. Sin has its consequences, and you need to keep that in mind. A person can be forgiven, but there are still consequences that go along with it. Now, let me briefly give you one more truth about biblical confrontation. It involves being sent by God, saying the right words, presenting forgiveness of sin along with consequences. It also involves accepting the restored sinner. You better, you better communicate that you accept them. If God forgives them, you better, better accept them. Verse 24 and 25 of this chapter, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, that's after the baby died, and went in to her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah. For the Lord's sake. Now, what does this mean? After David and Bathsheba's baby died, they had another son, the famous Solomon. And you know what Solomon means? Solomon means peace. Put it together, you'll remember this if I say the word shalom. Shalom means peace. Shalom sounds very much like Solomon. I mean, it may not sound it to you in English, but in Hebrew it is. In Hebrew, in fact, the name Solomon is Shlomo. Shlomo, shalom, peace. It was God's way of saying, everything is right between us, David. Peace. My peace is upon this child. My peace is upon you. But Nathan, the prophet, said, I'm going to give him another name. 
I'm going to give him another name, and his name, I'm, the name that I'm going to give him is Jedediah. You know what Jedediah means? It means beloved by the Lord. Now, why did Nathan give him the name Jedediah? I want to suggest to you it was to affirm to David that not only was he forgiven by God, peace be upon you, David, but also Nathan the prophet accepted David as well. Beloved of the Lord. David, you're beloved of the Lord. This child is beloved of the Lord. I'm going to name this child something other than Solomon because I want you to know that I accept you. I affirm that you have been forgiven and that I fully accept you. So here's the principle. After, after confrontation and repentance, make sure you make it very, very clear that you accept this individual regardless of what they've done. If they repent, you accept them. They don't repent, you don't have fellowship with them. But if they repent, you accept them. Is this, is this biblical throughout, throughout the scripture? Sure. Sure. Jesus fully accepted Peter after he repented of his denials. Jesus fully accepted him. Not only that, Paul uh, affirmed his acceptance of John Mark after John Mark, the missionary, abandoned him, deserted he and Barnabas. At the end of his life, Paul said, send John Mark to me. He's useful to me. And church discipline speaks of full restoration. So you need to do what Nathan did. Make it clear in whatever way you can. You affirm them. You accept them. So as we wrap this up, we need to ask ourselves this. And let's, let's kind of close our eyes for this and, and meditate and be quiet. Let's be still. Is there anyone that you can think of as we're quiet before the Lord that you need to confront? Anybody who you have a burden to deal with? Then you need to follow these guidelines. Do you love them? Have you had a spiritual encouraging ministry to them? Or do you really enjoy wanting to bless them with their sin? If you enjoy it, don't do it. Don't do it. Get your heart right. How about your timing? Have you waited upon the Lord? Have you asked Him for wisdom? How about have you waited upon God for the right words? How are you going to approach them? Have you thought this thing through? Have you asked God's guidance? When you confront, will you present the great hope of forgiveness? Will you tell them the way out of misery? is confession and repentance, yet with ongoing consequences? And will you remember to accept this person once he or she repents? That's biblical confrontation. And as we're quiet before the Lord, I wonder if there's someone here who needs to be confronted. I say, I don't need to confront so much as I need to have somebody love me enough to confront me. Well, if they do, you need to be responsive to God's word. Or else you're going to continue in your misery. You may look good on the outside, but inside you're just miserable. And you know what? I don't know what sin you're in, but right now just take it that God is confronting you through this message. You'll never get away with your sin. David didn't. He didn't beat the system. He was just miserable for about a year. And you don't need to be. Joy comes when we repent, and you can. I invite anyone here who wants to come up after the message, speak to one of our elders, repent, confess your sin. You really can do it right where you are, but let us know about it so we can help you and guide you. Do you have a contrite heart? If you have a contrite heart, God accepts that. If you need to trust Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, because there is no other way, then I invite you 
to come up after and speak to someone as well. And if you need to confront somebody and you feel awkward about it and it's not a joy, good. It's not supposed to be a joy and it's supposed to be awkward, but you now know what to do. And I trust you'll obey. Father, I thank you that your word addresses an issue like this, which uh, for many of us has been very hard because we haven't had guidance, but now we, we have because you've revealed to us what to do. I pray, Lord, for those of us who need to go to somebody that you help us to put these truths into practice with a real loving, gracious, kind heart, because we know, except by the grace of God, that's where we're standing. I pray for those, Lord, who may be in the condition like David, may not be adultery, it may be other things, but I pray that there would be repentance. I pray that there would be true contriteness before you. And I pray that, Lord, your word would continue to linger in us because it gives us such hope. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that Jesus died for our sins and uh, that we can be forgiven, that we're judicially forgiven the moment we accept you, but that we can be restored in in fellowship forgiveness moment by moment, like like taking uh, a bath. I pray for that. I pray there be cleanness on the inside as well as on the outside. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are glad to have had you with us today for another verse-by-verse radio Bible class. Pastor Steve Kreloff has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of our listeners. We're on the web at Verse by Verse Radio. That's all one word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.